and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bandy, and I work for the library system of Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, and I am the um, advisor for our teen summer zine for the county there, and I'm also an author of young adult historical fiction. My name is Wesley Suker. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a uh, library student at Simmons University, and I also work at the Watertown Free Public Library in Massachusetts in the teen room, and organizing and um, collecting for our circulating zine collection. I also make a lot of my own zines (laughs) Um, and just love everything zine related. Fantastic. So a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about what a zine is and how libraries have gotten involved in the distribution and circulation of them and creation of them, it seems like in the case of Lindsay, your teen program. Um, But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? So I have been reading, rereading actually The Book Thief um, with my daughter. She's in fifth grade and uh, we've been listening to the audio and it's amazing. There are so many things that I've picked up this time being this much older than the last time I read it. um, And we've really been enjoying that together. And on the nonfiction side, we actually were reading um, Prisoners of Geography, the kids version, um, which is really cool because it gives this, I'm not a, like I have a terrible sense of direction as you know, a driver or whatever, like, I'm like, lead me home. (laughs) But this is really cool because it puts geography in terms of story and the story of these different nations and how their geography works together to shape history and story. So highly recommend, even if you're like a directionless person like me. (laughs) I really love that. I really love listening to audiobooks and reading the um, text version at different points or at the same time. Um, that's so funny because right now I've been listening to uh, the Discworld audiobooks, uh, Terry Pratchett's Discworld audiobooks, and I've read probably all of them at some point in text, but <laughs> given that it's a very uh, fantasy setting, and especially because so much of it is tongue-in-cheek, um, mm-hmm. it's sort of it, it it doesn't always land the same. And then when you have someone telling it to you, it really feels like listening to jokes <laughs> and like being able to, um, you know, hear how things are pronounced too in a fantasy world, always super helpful. <laughs> um, besides that, uh, I've been listening and reading to The Punk Factor by Rebecca Denton. And it is this really cool um, YA fiction about a bunch of scrappy, 19 year old girls in Britain who are forming a punk band. And um, it's just what I really appreciated about it is that it's a modern setting that doesn't, you know, stereotype, I guess. It's not that, oh, all the 19 year old girls are constantly looking at their phones. You know, it's it it shows how, yeah, we're in a modern world. People still have lives. People still do things. And I really I appreciate it because I feel like the author just um, has that respect for um, teenagers. You're like, this is an old person scolding teenagers. <laughs> I'm using their phones. <laughs> you feel it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just and, life now. I mean, I'm a mom yeah. of teenagers, so I, I get that, you know. Well, yeah, and you being a teen librarian too, it's like, that's a, yeah. I mean, that's an important thing for 
every human being, but like, I feel like as a teen librarian, I often feel sort of especially defensive about mm-hmm. especially teenagers in the library. It's like, gotcha. you know, come on, you guys, they, they, I want you to be able to be yourselves in this space and, you know, no judgment here. <laughs> I want you to be able to be yourself in this space without CERC people giving you side eye. And that's not a call out to anyone who works in our system. I I think our system is pretty good related to that, but I definitely know that there are libraries out there where the CERC staff are terrified of teenagers really don't know how to deal with them or themselves because they've been working in a library a long time have this kind of conception of the library as being like this quiet solemn place we gotta trash that whole you know (laughs) idea that yeah 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 okay i also i gotta throw out one other thing um it's a graphic novel called road queen eternal road trip to love and it's more punk girls because that's like everything I'm reading right now. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's so cute. I'm really, um, oh, I should say the author too, which I did not write down, but it's uh, Mira Ong Chua. And it was originally a web comic that then got uh, picked up and turned into a print graphic novel, which I'm just, um, it's always so inspiring to me to see that, you know, you, you can do it and that publishers are, are starting to recognize the incredible talent that is outside of the, traditional submission-based publishing industry. Yeah, definitely. I'm struggling to remember if I talked about this book on a previous episode. This is the problem of talking to people every week. But uh, Lindsay, you talking about the book thief made me think of recently I read this YA novel in verse called The Most Dazzling Girl in Berlin. Um, And it is set kind of rise of the Nazi party in Berlin. I appreciated that it was not your kind of like stereotypical World War II era story um, and that it talked about the the queer culture in Berlin that was really being cultivated right before. Berlin queer culture, my ears totally perked up when you said that. I was like, ooh. Yeah, ooh. And so I appreciated that it talked about that because a lot of times I think young people, but people in general view history as like, we went from a completely intolerant time to the more tolerant time that we're in now, when in actuality, mm-hmm. there were lots of kind of ebb and flows in the acceptance of queer people of all varieties. Mm-hmm. And and the 1920s and 30s kind of was one of those times in places like New York, Berlin, big cities did have these clubs. They did have this kind of like underground community um where they were allowed to be their authentic selves like being able to see queer history and see queer people represented in history and in historical fiction and just you know in general it sort of helps to prove the point that like we you know queer people we've always been here and that yes it's not so much about you know it helps us to see Mm -hmm. that because we've always been here we can continue to do better that it's not like this is some new thing that people want to phrase as like oh all these weird new genders that people are making up it's like dude we've been here for a long time yes exactly it's one of the most affirming things for me uh is reading about queer history seeing um 
queer interpretations of stories before the rise of the use of homosexuality in the sense that we think of it now. I think it kind of shows that pendulum swing and the unfortunate backlash that, that can come with it, you know, as as we make progress and then well, sometimes there's that pushback. But it's really interesting. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I did. I did kind of see a lot of parallels with kind of again as the as the Nazi Party is rising, you're seeing that part mm-hmm. of it is related to this backlash of like people who were part of the Nazi Party or supported their platform. We're talking about removing these clubs that were in their eyes, you know, unsavory, immoral, right? yeah, yeah, like yeah, sure. parts of their city. So yeah, um, yeah, the parallels were present <laughs> isn't that the incredible thing about historical fiction and and, and i mean history mm-hmm. historical fiction is is like it's sort of fun it's funny how it's like the, uh, science fiction does kind of the same thing where you you examine things about um your current society based on the lens of a different time period and um mm-hmm. i've always liked that sort of parallel between historical fiction and science fiction in that way all just different you can see and that's a lot of the reason I love to write historical fiction so much. Um, so my book that I wrote is called Nemesis and the Swan. Um, and it takes place at the height of the French Revolution. Um, and it was coming out in 2020. <laughs> and you can draw whatever parallels you'd like to with America in 2020. Um, as things are escalating and, you know, so divisive. And I think it gives you that that distance that you need sometimes to be able to see connections that might be too painful or too scary right now. You can look at how did this happen in the past on science fiction, how might it happen in the future? And I think makes stories so powerful. Well said. I love that. (laughs) All right. So besides reading, have either of you been watching anything interesting lately? I just finished watching Wednesday with my kids. Um, and I loved that. That was good. So I grew up watching like the old Adams family on Nick at Night with my grandpa. So it was fun to like see this whole new reimagining of, of the Adams family and this teenage Jenna Ortega take on Wednesday. It was really fun. I really want to, I really want to watch that. I think I just haven't, I, I, I want to be able to commit to watching a block of it at once. <laughs> so I'm really glad yeah. that you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been really good. And then, so I had two daughters and I was like, don't watch the next episode without me, you know? So, and they did. They skipped one. So I made them rewatch it with me. <laughs> now you have to pretend to react exactly the same way as you did before. You need to let me see everything. <laughs> like, don't tell me anything. <laughs> don't look at me during certain parts because then yes. I know something is coming. Well, they get they get annoyed with me too because I watch TV like a writer. So I'm asking all these questions, and then they're like, uh, they give me an answer. So, no, I don't want the answer. I'm just wondering. Stop! I'm interacting with you. <laughs> but I do that was, with things that like series. neither me or my partner has watched before. Where I'll be like, yeah. "Why is this?" And then he's just like, "We're both watching this. Like, just watch it." Let's find mm-hmm. it. It's part of the experience. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just processing. Yeah, me too. And I process it out loud. I want to know, are you asking this question too? Okay, let's find the answer together. <laughs> My kids hate it. <laughs> One thing that I'm really excited and 
Um, there's only been a few episodes that have come out lately, but it's the 2022 remake of the anime that came out in the late 80s for the 1980s manga, Yurisai Yatsura. And basically it's uh, this alien girl who um, came down to Earth and then uh, through a series of misunderstanding believed that she was to be uh, engaged with the main character and so the entire thing is sort of like a romantic comedy slash comedy of errors where the main character is trying to explain to his human girlfriends that no no that's not what this is about i'm (laughs) trying to not have the earth blow up (laughs) and um, and it's actually really genuinely sweet it was made by uh the creator of Inuyasha and Ranma One Half, which are also some very uh, popular manga and animes that sort of made it bigger in America. <laughs> um, but the reason I'm really excited about this one is just because it is so colorful. It is so, um, there's so many patterns. It's so bright and very, very Tokyo energy, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, um it's a lot. It can be kind of overstimulating, but like in little chunks of little 20 minute episodes at a time, it is so exciting and engaging. Um, so that's what I've been watching lately. <laughs> I super I late to the party watched the first two episodes of the season two of Bridgerton, which I know came out like probably a year ago at this point, but I just like never got around to it when it came out. And so I'm like, let me finally watch this season two of Bridgerton and uh I don't know are we out of spoiler territory (laughs) for season two of Bridgerton um spoiler alert if you haven't watched any of it I I keep the in the just again just two episodes in I keep watching it being like oh the older brother is gonna end up with the other sister not the sister that he is going for right now like I can see it they're they (laughs) They met up before he met the other sister. There was repartee. Like this has this has a bait and switch romantic interest written all over it. And oh, and the older sister is like, no, I will become a governess. I am just here to marry my, off my younger sister. I am fine alone. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, girl, no, no. But yeah, so that's been fun, and I enjoy kind of like the. The interesting mix of like historical accuracy and creative choices that <laughs> they have made <laughs> of your story and yeah, your and you can you know suspension of disbelief and all that. I yeah, <laughs> I'm on board with that. Like that, the queen dresses up like it's like fifty, if not more, years earlier for like no reason. <laughs> Just earlier. like problem later it would be like eh, later would be yeah justify earlier <laughs> that's fair mm-hmm. but like she looks like of who we stereotypically think of like marie antoinette looking like while the rest of the people are for the most part wearing regency silhouettes which is problems that like that i would not have seen if i didn't start watching like historical costume youtubers <laughs> It's You're the kind of person that I want to watch stuff with, though, about like, oh, you see that bustle? <laughs> uh, actually be folded this way in the proper historical context. That's just Layer. me parroting like Abby Cox and Bernadette Banner. And I'm just like, thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with me. That's such a librarian thing. 
speaking of YouTube and other media, um, I don't know if you guys do other podcasts other than this lovely podcast. One of my favorites is the Dark House podcast. It's um, run by the editors of House Beautiful, but it's these two girls, they're friends, and they study the history and architecture and stories behind all of these supposedly haunted houses in America and give you all the stories of how people died there, who died, but it's not, it's not too dark and grisly. It's more about the story, and then they talk about the features of the house. I love interior design, and um, so it like mixes together everything I like. It's really cool. What was the haunted haunted house uh, in Rhode Island that they like recently sold? Was it the Conjuring House? So I'd be curious if they did. Well, I I'd be curious on other people's behalf because I'm not a big like haunted. Uh, there's all stories that my library is supposedly haunted, and I really don't believe many of them. Just mm-hmm. personally, well, uh, see, this is your opportunity then to do the haunting. <laughs> I never thought of that. Conjuring House. Thank you, Dave. 1.5. Thank you, it? podcast guardian from the sky. It was the Conjuring House. And yes, yeah, we sold it for $1.5 million. Well, if it comes wow. with ghosts, like that's a yeah, that's a good deal. <laughs> if it comes with ghosts. <laughs> I have slept in a supposedly haunted house. Um, and I don't know. I guess the ghost liked me. I had no problem. We were we were good. So. That's exactly what I say about this library. I say if there are ghosts here, they like me apparently because I've had no experience. Me and the ghosts are chill. My family took a ghost tour in Williamsburg, Virginia, on vacation, and we were at one of the locations, and they were talking about um, Lady Catherine, this um, ghost who was jilted by her lover and I was standing probably 10 feet behind my husband and he turned around and he was like why did you grab my pants I didn't touch you and Lady Catherine tried to pants my husband it is I believe in the ghost now (laughs) there was nothing there (laughs) Lady Catherine is after my man (laughs) good thing she's dead right probably not too much of a threat uh, to no. your marriage, anyway. No, no. <laughs> to his pants, perhaps. Yeah, it was close. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Unleash your inner child and join us at the Auburn branch every Friday at 4 p.m. for Color and Calm. There will be coloring books, mandalas, colored pencils and markers, as well as herbal and decaf teas and soothing music. No registration required. Decompress and head into the weekend refreshed. For questions, email auburn at cranstonlibrary.org. Udemy is an online learning platform for adults who want to improve work-related skills or further develop a personal interest. Users can search through more than 4,000 continuously updated on-demand video courses across 75 categories, including business, technology, design, and more. All courses are taught by world-class instructors and offer a tailor-made learning experience for those who want to learn new technologies and skills to stay competitive in a changing workforce. All you need to get started is your library card and a Google or Microsoft account. 
You can find more information about how to sign up for Udemy at cranstonlibrary.org. All right, well, I want to have enough time to talk about your work related to zines, uh, but I thought first we'd talk about what is a zine and how is it different from a comic book or other types of graphic sequential art? I have my incredibly boring uh, basic definition uh, for a very incredible, amazing thing <laughs> that is a zine. Um, the boring definition is that zines are small batch DIY publications that are basically uh, cheaply made with plain old paper and staples and anything that you can put onto a photocopier. Uh, the contents can be drawings, collages, photos, uh, text that can be informational or it can be personal stories. It can be diaries. It can be comics. Uh, it can be a combination of all of these things. It can be none of these things. Um, sort of, sort of like the default um, phrase that I used to go for was anything that you can put on a photocopier can be in a zine, but that's not even true anymore because there are some zines today that are all digital. And uh, I think that the core essence of of zine is the um, DIY publication spirit. So anything that you are making yourself and sharing or distributing yourself or in in small groups that is what a zine is and i think that's the true essence that people are usually talking about um when they talk about just the incredible personality that zines have i i hope that makes sense in in audio <laughs> it's always like, that makes perfect like, sense yeah. yeah it's so much easier when you can like pick up a zine and show somebody because I think that it's almost something that you feel more than you um, know or, or talk about or talk around. It's something that you sort of experience yourself. <laughs> that sounds pretentious, but... <laughs> it's a visual experience, though, in many ways, I think. So you can talk about it. It may have text in there, but it is that visual experience. And it's, for us, um, where we do the teen summer zine, it's a collection of writing, artwork, comic strips, um, all sorts of things that our students are creating and we're putting together. And it's it's this collage of their stories and their artwork. And it is kind of that experience, you know, and it's a translation of our experience together as we meet with authors and as we have that creative time together. And we also do, we share it with that small group. Uh, like Wesley said, we have um, our all go on circulation um, at all 16 of our county libraries, and then the students get copies too. Um, we do get them bound just so that um, they don't fall apart in our libraries right away. Um, that is, that it would be cheaper if we, if we stapled them though. <laughs> the major thing about, about zines in libraries specifically is um, that zines, zines are so um, quick to make and so cheaply made just sort of Traditionally, I'll say not every single zine mm -hmm. is made, but like traditionally, zines are made on just cheap photocopy paper with the intent of um, distributing it um, cheaply, freely, and quickly. And so um, there can be sort of the issue of how a library can best archive a zine and and sort of protect it and make sure that it, um, you know, make sure that it lasts while mm -hmm. still 
you know, allowing people to engage with it and, and actually experience it or circulate it or, um, you know, have it, have it available at all. <laughs> it's sort of, mm-hmm. that's, that's a big aspect of, of zine keeping from a library perspective. Mm-hmm. So you already have both alluded to that libraries do have zines. Um, sometimes, not all libraries. I think it's a, a blossoming kind of area in terms of, of library collections. Um, so do both of you want to talk a little bit about how your library started collecting zines and how those collections came about? Well, our library doesn't have a big collection of zines, actually. This is kind of our first. Um, and so I can tell you how that idea came about. Um, for me, as an author, I love teaching writing. I love writing with young people. So um, I went to our countywide youth uh, supervisor and I said, hey, what do you think about creating a summer program for our creative teenagers? Because so much of our summer reading programs in our county is focused on the younger kids. There's not really um, any countywide programs for teens and it's hard to get them in. So my vision was to have a different guest author every month um, who would um, be with us twice. So we started on Zoom. Um, It was 2021 when we started. So Zoom was the way to go. Um, This year, we're looking at doing a hybrid kind of model. Um, But our author for the month of June will do one session on a Tuesday afternoon where they talk about their creative process and um, just how they approach writing. So this could be a graphic novelist, it could be a traditional novelist, a poet, um, and they just talk about their process, what inspires them, and then they give some creative prompts to the students. And we have some time where we write together. So about half of our hour and a half is writing time. Um, And we usually break it up, um, you know, about 15 minutes, you know, try this, try that. Um, and we collaborate and talk about how did that go? Um, and it gives them some good ideas that they can work on for the next two weeks. And then we come back and we do a workshop session where we can share. So we'll do Zoom breakout rooms um, coming up this summer. We will work in person also sharing some of our work. Um, and it can be visual art. It can be any kind of writing, essay, poetry, fiction. Um, but the the guest author always shares some of their work first for critique by the students. So students are getting to offer feedback to the old working authors. Um, and that's a special thing, I think, because they start to see that, you know, as a reader, you are part of of an author's work and they want to know your reactions and uh, really give some insight into, you know, that process and how to give feedback. So I usually moderate and we kind of give feedback to one another and then um, help the kids with that. So um, we do a different author for June, July, and August. And then um, we compile submissions, including our guest author's Um, work. So they always submit either a short piece or at least a note to the kids so that the kids are published right alongside of these authors that they work with as mentors over the summer. And we do a publication celebration uh, once we have our print copies back and distribute them and then we catalog them for our library. What I really love about that um, and that whole project and that whole 
story is how um, what you were mentioning about the readers being able to give feedback to the author as well. That feels very appropriate to the zine ethos of putting everybody on an even playing field, giving everybody an equal voice and uh, equal respect as a creator and as a um, as a person with a voice. Um, that's what I really like about zines as sort of um, being DIY publications and really focusing on the fact that anybody from any background, from any, you know, level of formal or writing education, any level of editing or not editing in the work, it's all, <laughs> it's all perfectly um, valuable and in many, and it's, and it's valuable, um, you know, even more in the, in, in different ways, but just as much as we would value traditional publications. And so I really love how you have integrated the, um, you know, published authors, mm -hmm. the, we as, as a society, and sometimes as librarians, we can sort of elevate mm -hmm. this level of information as being somehow, you know, superior or aspirational in some sense and showing that's mm -hmm. like, you know, everybody is just a person, everybody is a creator, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how professional or how old you are, like, everybody has a valid voice. Yeah, because we have, you know, we've been fortunate, we've had the space, we can include all submissions. So, and I don't go through and tell them, you have a typo here, you, you know, we tell them, self-edit, send it in, you participated, you're included. Um, and I think that is a really special thing um, to be able to do and to say, you know, your voice belongs here on the shelf beside all these other people um, who get paid to do this, you know, um, and, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. And we've had a great diverse group of kids. Um, we're in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It tends to be a pretty conservative area, um, but we've really brought out an interesting, eclectic group of kids, and it's been so exciting to see them feel like they're a part of this group and they found a home and they can they can speak and write and um, that their voices are valued. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I love the community building aspect too of what you're doing. That's such a that's such a big part about zine culture is not just the making, but the sharing and the interaction. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's really cool that you're able to do these sort of consistent um, meetings and, and build up, build up connections and build up friendships with, with fellow writers, fellow zinesters. Yeah, it's been awesome. We've enjoyed it. Um, so Wesley, how has your library kind of gotten involved in collecting zines? Yeah. So, um, I uh, was originally brought onto the uh, Watertown Free Public Library team specifically to work on the developing zine collection. So in 2020, the head uh, teen librarian, Carrie Conkey Finn, had the idea that she wanted to create a collection of zines, a circulating collection that was somewhat inspired by um, other libraries and other zine libraries in the area. And from there, um, it just got a lot bigger. <laughs> so um, it started out where, you know, Carrie really didn't, and, and really nobody at the library had any idea what the world of zines was actually like, what zines were were out there. Um, and it began very much as an explorative, um, wanting to just see what the local zine scene was like and be able to preserve 
um, these DIY publications that often don't um, get preserved or archived um, as we wanted to create a space to have them uh, be preserved and have them seen and circulate. And it was very much focused on the uh, local creators, local uh, local history. And that's definitely still a big part of it. And I think it just expanded so much when people realized how excited we were, where um, we started out with, I think, maybe 200 zines that were in a uh, circulating collection. You could just check them out, take them home like everything else. And uh, from there, people just seemed to respond to it so much that um, it just got bigger and bigger. And uh, we started collecting more zines from around the country and from international zinesters and trying to get a, um, a larger uh, collection of topics that the zines were on. So we have a lot of nonfiction zines that are sharing information in a more personal way. Uh, we focus a lot on uh, queer zines and uh, health zines for um, like uh, personal mental health uh, and just personal experiences to sort of take all of this nonfiction information that you can get and um, and show what it's actually like on a personal level and uh, some of the barriers that people face that are often unacknowledged. So that's kind of what we tend to focus on is sort of the the personal experience, the personal touch of, of zines. Um, we have a very large per zine collection. I think now our collection is about 800 some zines um, and it's always growing. And my role is uh, I recommend and purchase quite a few new zines and I am sort of in the middle of a project of recategorizing them to try and come up with an organization system for the zines that um, really uh, respects and is derived from zines themselves and sort of the natural categories that they might slot into rather than trying to assert a rigid Dewey Decimal system that is not going to um, <laughs> not really going going to accommodate uh, the topics of many zines properly. Um, and yeah, I don't think Melville Dewey would could have predicted zines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably would. It that would have that would have blown his mind. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that libraries would care about them. He'd be like these pamphlets made what? at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that there was such breadth in them, honestly. So now I'm excited to check out, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look into more of that for our library because I really didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So thanks, Leslie. For sure. I can definitely share some um, resources for uh, zine libraries that you can check out online where all of the zines are available digitally. The number one that I'll just throw out there right now is the Sherwood Forest Zine Library. Uh, and they're centered in Austin, Texas, and they have an incredibly long list of uh, zines that are available to read for free as PDFs. Um, and they are very well tagged and have quite a wide variety of types of zines and topics of zines that I always like to recommend to people. So, sorry, you saying about them being available digitally by PDF made me think of something. Um because you said the kind of origin of it is you take copy paper, you fold it up and so that it's a little book and so that you can kind of draw things up and then photocopy it and put it out as quickly as you can. But now with the crossover of a lot of them being available digital, are more people making them digital? Like are more of them born digitally and made with digital tools or are people still hand drawing them and then just like 
uploading them? Um, in my personal experience, I found that most people are still doing it physically because there is something really special about that uh, tactile experience of cutting and pasting and gluing and um, sort of doing things on the traditional medium allows for the imperfections to um, come out without a lot of editing and without a lot of adjusting. And I think that's something when you're working all digitally, it can be very tempting to just go back and keep editing and editing and polishing and polishing until it looks absolutely perfect for whatever, whether it's for, you know, presentation on social media or just like, because you can. So I think that a lot of people still prefer to work uh, traditionally because um, it sort of frees, frees up your mind from that and it frees up the sense of obligation the benefits of the uh, digital zine scene is that it allows for um, zines to become more accessible for creators who uh, would have any sort of uh, difficulty with producing things traditionally. So whether that would be a uh, physical disability, mobility issues, anything that would make it difficult. And also um, for the sake of anonymity, is a really big thing that you, um, zines in general, it's always been very important because when you're, uh, saying whatever you want and when you're, when you're saying things that are, that's when you're producing things that are often going to include radical information, then being able to keep yourself safe while doing that is important. And I think that's something that digital, um, zines, whether made digitally or shared digitally, that's something that has, um, this sort of, that digital zines have really contributed and really made easier for zinesters is to um, keep yourself safe through anonymity online. Um, and I guess like the last thing that is nice about zines that are made all digitally is um, being able to take advantage of um, the cheap means of creation and um, the ease of distribution. Uh, so a lot of people will just make it all digitally because you don't need any supplies. I mean, you really don't need any supplies with zines anyway, beyond just like, you know, a piece of copy paper and a stolen Sharpie, <laughs> referencing stolen Sharpie revolution, a book about zines by Alex Reck. Uh, but having having so many digital tools that are um, widely available now, it does sort of open up the doors. So I guess I would say <laughs> in a very long answer to a very short question, <laughs> I would say that... Um, Digital zines are an addition, not a replacement for uh, for traditional zines. As with most digital things, <laughs> I would say. Um, so is it typical that people don't put their name on them? Like even when they're making them and distributing them physically? Uh, it is incredibly common that people will either not put their name or they will use some sort of pseudonym. Um, and I think that Part of that, part of that is because of what I was saying is like when you're pro producing potentially radical information, this is the case for a lot of uh, sort of underground resistance movements that would produce and distribute zines, um, then that's very important for the sake of safety. There's also the element of um, zines often contain very personal information, not so much in, you know, the sort that you could use to steal someone's credit card, but like personal information in terms of very, very deep um uh, intimate intimate that's like that's an excellent <laughs> word. deep ideas deep feelings deep dreams and so some people feel more comfortable um expressing that and 
if they don't necessarily have to have their name attached to it. And some people, in fact, find it very liberating to attach their name to it and to be able to be open and raw and honest on a page in a way that they would never do in a conversation with somebody. So it kind of depends. There's definitely a lot of both. Um, I guess the point being that uh, you don't, it's not something that you have to share and it's not something that's seen as unusual if you, if you don't want to share information about yourself. Yeah, we give the option um, if there are students who want to submit, um, if they want to leave it, you know, in the publication as anonymous, that's okay. Um, We encourage them to put their names to it just because we're proud of them and you know we we like um putting their names out there because we're you know excited um and we want them to kind of get that recognition for participating but you know we've had times where you know students have poems things like that that they want to just put anonymous and that's totally okay i think the whole um the whole idea behind that or, or the driving force i guess is that um with zines you want to be able to experience the freedom to say whatever you want to say. Um, and so however people feel most free to do that is totally mm-hmm. fine and totally accepted. Um, so as we're getting kind of towards the end of our conversation here, um, do either of you or both of you have any recommendations of scenes that uh, people should check out if they're looking for, like you said, it's a deeply visual medium. So if they're looking for examples or just looking for something good to read, So one recommendation that I have that I have been thoroughly enjoying lately is called Charmzine. And it's by a creator named Charlotte Armstrong. And I especially like this because Charlotte is a teenager. And I just feel like there's something, I mean, being a teen librarian, and like I was saying before, I have a very, you know, special sort of instinct for uh, for teen creations and um it's very special but i guess what i really like about this zine in particular is that it is so um unique and diverse within its content where it goes everything from handwritten on uh graph paper to collages to drawings to stickers thrown on um so just the the sort of visual aesthetic is always incredibly um, exciting and engaging and very, very colorful, which is which is the first reason I like it. And then the second reason I like it is because it is still it is so um, open and honest and willing to criticize some problems in our society. There's a lot about um, body image and uh, sort of expectations of the way that we should look and and the way that we should act and all of the um i guess it's it's very honest it feels like talking to your best friend it feels like sitting down and complaining about um these issues in society and really just acknowledging them um in an honest way and in an open way and not in an academic way and that's what's really special about zines um and that's why i wanted to recommend these in particular for anybody who has perhaps heard about zines through the um, movie slash YA novel Moxie, um, this definitely would fit into that category. So if you enjoyed Moxie, you will definitely inv- enjoy Charm Zine. Uh, and you can get that by checking out Charlotte Armstrong on uh, Instagram and Etsy. And I think they sell a few places. But uh, if you just Google Charm Zine Charlotte Armstrong, you'll find what you need. <laughs> Lindsay, do you have any zine recommendations before we move on? 
Um, I I don't, other than the one that my students create, which um, <laughs> you would probably you would have to come to a Lancaster County Library to check out. Although, if um, Wesley, if you would like any of ours to add to your collection, I'd be happy to send you copies of ours too. I mean, our kids would be super excited to know that they're going. Oh, to absolutely. Date, so. Yeah. Okay. We have a sort of where we have some from um, like the local middle school uh, GSA at Watertown Middle School has some zines that they've contributed. And we've had zines. We have one that was from an elementary school um, group in Los Angeles that wrote a zine called Don't Shoot Because. And it was basically Mm. this sort of I mean, <laughs> it, it compared to all the other stuff we've been talking about, it's it's somewhat tragic, but it's it's basically yeah. like um, all these all these feelings and drawings by these elementary school students about why uh, why they would want like what they would say to a potential school shooter. Um, so anyway, I say all this just to mention. Powerful, that, like, yeah. I'll, I'll t- I will. Um, I'll send, I'll just like collect a big old, a big old thing of links for, for zines for you too. But anyway, um, yeah, we have like sort of a special section for zines that were made by kids and teens. So I would definitely, definitely love to include that. I'd love that. And I'd love to share that with my students, especially as we're looking at, you know, doing a hybrid model this year, meeting in person finally. And, you know, we've got the all together now theme for libraries this summer. So we're going to get together, but it'd be cool to just be able to hang out with them and show them some other things um, without being limited to Zoom. So I would love that. I've got resources. I'll send you some, some recs, some personal recs for um, uh, zines that they might like. And I guess that's something is that if anybody wants personal zine recommendations, <laughs> please feel free to contact me. I, I, I mean, I really think that the best zine for you to read is a local zine. It can sort of sometimes be hard to find. Um, talk to your local librarians; they will help you. <laughs> but yeah, the the best zine is is your zine. The best zine is the zine that you found. The zine that that feels special to you. Um, as with most media. (laughs) And I would add, if any librarians out there are interested in creating a program for their teens where you're creating a zine, feel free to contact me. Um, I'd love to give you some tips and the things I wish I would have known three years ago when I started. Um, And just, you know, how we've found our author contacts and um, things like that, because it's definitely a program I would recommend doing. It's a lot of fun and it's just really a unique way to reach your teens and give them a voice. I'm going to have to talk to you more about that too, like off, <laughs> off podcast. Yeah. Really cool. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm buzzing. <laughs> uh, so just before we move on to our last segment, Wesley, where can people find your zines if they want to check out your work? Um, you can find my zines at 22zines.com, which is, uh, and that's spelled out the, the number all the way. So T-W-E-N, et cetera, 22zines.com. And I, uh, all of my zines are available to read for free uh, digitally, or you can purchase physical copies, which will just go towards me buying more zines. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like I, I care a lot about freedom of information. So uh, you're absolutely welcome to download, print, distribute um, my zines as much 
as you'd like. If you have a classroom or a club or just you want to show it to your dad, you know, do whatever you want with them. All right. Fantastic. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish related question. And I thought I would ask you both, what kind of literary or fictional universe would you like to occupy? Like, would you like to go to or live in? I know it's a hard question. (laughs) So I had mentioned Discworld at the beginning of uh, this podcast, and I am sitting here trying to think if I'd actually want to live in that world or if I just think that I do because (laughs) parts of it are, you know, probably not where you'd want to live um, in the sense that they they are sort of exaggerated aspects of our world and so there are some aspects that are are really fun like the sort of irreverence and the incredibly um beautiful and efficient post office uh (laughs) system i just finished reading um making money which is the second book in the moist von lipvig sub-series of discworld which begins with going postal in which a uh reformed criminal uh takes on uh, reforming the post office. <laughs> and it turns out quite quite nicely, I'd say. So that aspect uh, is nice. There's also some aspects that I would not enjoy so much, uh, like the fact that Ankh-Morpork is run by a dictator. That is the official title, is dictator of Ankh-Morpork. So maybe I wouldn't want to live there. Um, but, you know, I guess just in terms of the spirit of the writing, at least, it's very... It has this this sense of humor and this irreverence that feels very um, uh, very up my alley. Like I I think if nothing else, I would thoroughly enjoy having a conversation with anybody who lived in that world. And I guess I guess for me, it is more important for things to be interesting than to be perfect. I, I definitely part of the positive of the question was visit there. If you if you don't want to live there, but you just want to go, I will there, absolutely visit. I will go and visit anytime. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. So if I had to live in a book, um, I would definitely choose a poetry collection. A poem is something you sort of like can read again and experience again. And I love poetry. I love using words in creative and unusual ways. Um, And I would say Billy Collins is one of my favorite poets. And I know he's getting like a little outdated now in some ways, but I love the way he takes all of these ordinary moments and flips them around into something deep or something really insightful. Um, and some of them are travel poems. Some of them are emotion-based. It's just all these really beautiful, important moments um, with interesting surprises at the end. And his poetry was always really influential for me as a writer too. Um, I just, I love the way he uses words and surprises readers. So I guess I would live in, in one of his poetry collections. Okay. Um, I've answered this question before and said Hobbington, and I still stand by that uh, for somewhat because I feel like I am a hobbit at heart, even if I am not a hobbit in stature. Um, but I also thinking about this question more before the show, I also think it would be cool to live in like the Avatar The Last Airbender universe, which I know started out as a show, but there are graphic novels and novels now. So (laughs) I'm counting that. Um, Obviously, during like the Avatar um, Aang era, 
there was some war and definitely some highlights of problems <laughs> with colonialism. So maybe might not be the best time to live. But generally, I feel like even giving that, generally the everyday person in the Avatar Less Airbender universe like had a pretty okay life. The cabbage guy yeah. got his day ruined sometimes, <laughs> but he picked up his cabbages and he went out with his life. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I think I'd be pretty bummed if I was in that world and did not get bending powers. <laughs> I know. I read so much historical fiction and I'm like, there's no way I'd want to go back in time to these terrible death film places. Fair. Put me in a poem, please. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right. So thank you both for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to answer this week's last chapter question or share your idea for a future last chapter question, you can email us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org or you can reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Nomi Haig, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime. If I talked about this book before, feel free to edit this whole part out.